0: Evidence of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Thank you for tuning into Facts, a podcast that primarily focuses on the church fathers The Apocryphal Works, the Canon of Scripture, the Text of Scripture, and the Scripture itself. You can find more information about us on ExploreChristianity.net. Thank you again for tuning in. Yes, thank you again for tuning in to this new episode of Facts as we discuss the Apostolic Group. We've been going over the 12. We've covered quite a few thus far. We're working our way through each and every one of the 12, which we're actually going to be covering more than 12 when it's said and done. We'll be doing 14. Yes, 14. Uh, We've already included Matthias. We did a whole episode on him. And then we'll also be including the Apostle Paul. Now, we'll hit Judas Iscariot, too. That's why there's 14 But we've been emphasizing really the group of the 12 being 13 with Matthias replacing Judas and then Paul coming. But we will also cover Judas giving us 14 in total. Today we're going to talk about James, the Apostle James. And now there's two James in the apostolic group, and then there's other names with James in the group around Jesus, including his own brother, James the Just. But today we're going to talk about James the Great. Now, <laughs> he's not James the Great because he is better than the other James. Uh, he is either taller in stature, and James the Less is the shorter, or it indicates that James is older and the other James is younger. Now, there's a lot of dispute about this. Even uh, the Chosen has gone with uh, the the bigger James and the smaller James, kind of the size factor there. I actually happen to differ on that one. I, I personally think that it is older and younger. Now, at the end of the day, uh, the words can be described in both manners, and it really does. <laughs> at the end of the day, it really does not matter at all. But I do take it to be that he is the older of the James in the group. Now, at the Uh, the framework of the apostles themselves, he is one of the three and he gets more attention than James the less on the basis of the fact that he was seen in that inner circle with Jesus, where you have Peter, James, and John, and he is known because of his family as well. He is considered one of the sons of Zebedee. He's the brother of John. But he's given that name, Son of Thunder, one of the Sons of Thunder, you have James and John. And they seem to be very bold people. John's more an introvert. And it seems like his brother James is more of the extrovert. But they were able to see things. When we talk about James the Great, and, and I'm doing this episode today, particularly not because it was voted. I had a lot of votes come this week for the next few episodes. But my son, Jeremiah, specifically asked me if I would do James, the brother of John. So that's why I'm doing this one. But when you look at James, he was a part of some of the most important elements of Jesus's ministry. I mean, he was one of the first disciples called. His brother was with Andrew being the two that were first called. And then Peter was introduced. And then we see them kind of in the fishing business together Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're all brothers. Uh, You have two sets of brothers and they're working together and fishing. James and John are with their father, Zebedee, and they get that same call. They get the same call that Peter and Andrew did and an invite to follow Jesus and take their fishing business and use it to fish after men. And James became integrated in an inner circle where he got to be a part of things. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where only he, his brother, and Peter were able to be a witness to what took place on that mount. Then you look at the reality of his work in the garden He was one of the three that was sitting there falling asleep as Jesus interceded and prayed while also sweating great drops of blood. James was there. He was a key witness. When I look at the figures of the apostolic group, we have two gospel accounts from the inner three. Mark writing a gospel for Peter John having a gospel narrated in his name. I often wonder if James being the first martyr of the apostolic group. Obviously, Judas went out and hung himself, but he was not a martyr. He was a villain. But James being the first to die in that group, which we'll get into that. I often wonder if the churches would have been Very interested in him putting together a collected account of Jesus's life the same way they did Peter and John. And the reason for that is the reasons I just gave you of his involvement in some of the most extraordinary moments of Jesus's life. He was one of the earliest called. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there in the garden. He was set aside in conversations with Jesus even Peter, looking back on the book of 2 Peter, of the majesty that they had seen and experienced on the mount, Peter speaking in the plural there could only be referring to he, John, and James. I mean, we underestimate and kind of read over the transfiguration moment in Jesus' life. And, and one of the things that I want to not ignore in the process of doing this, is how instrumental that moment was for Jesus's ministry and what they were able to see. Because within that, they were able to not just see Jesus manifested in glory, but also see two of the major ancient Jewish writers and prophets to be exposed to an element of Jesus and his glory with Moses and Elijah. How many people in the history of the world can relate with that? And it's a tragic story, really, in the when it comes to the life of James, because he was short-lived in comparison to some of the others. Not many years later, some of them started to die and be killed as well. But the Mount of Transfiguration, whether you're talking about Matthew's account in chapter 17 or Luke's in chapter 9, when you look at the Transfiguration account, he is instrumental in receiving the vision and the truth about Jesus, seeing him with Moses and Elijah, and being able to take that message and then proclaim it in places, and we're going to talk about those places, is of no small thing. It's of no small thing. So James is an important character, and I don't want to run through his really quick and then jump on the others. I think he should be acknowledged for many of the things that we we admire in Scripture. He was there for at major events of Jesus's life. Now, he was also rebuked by Jesus. Uh, One of the stories that I find intriguing about James and John, particularly is fire from heaven that they wanted to call down. (laughs) And one of the things that Jesus said to them was that they did not know what spirit they were of. And Jesus rebuked them obviously for this. Luke records this for us in Luke chapter number nine. And these are the words when the disciple going into particularly James, James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. Now, what's interesting is that they elevated themselves to some sort of standard here that they could be like Elijah. And this is where I'm going with this. This is where I'm going with the connectivity. They wanted to bring down fire from heaven. They wanted to see fire come down and wipe up because the Samaritans were jerks, obviously. But it's in the same chapter where they got to see Elijah. See, a lot of people are hard on James and John. They think, well, what a bunch of arrogant, low life. Who do they think they are that they have the right to tell Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven? And what gave them the thought that they could do that? Well, earlier in the section here, they were able to see the Lord transfigured in verse 27 and verse number 28. And then it states that James and John and Peter went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed and appeared, and his face was altered, his robe became white and glistening, and two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease from which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And then next thing you know, just a few verses later, in verse 51, Samaria looks at Jesus and says, Nuh-uh, buddy, go a different way. And they asked whether or not they should call down fire from heaven. Well, there's two things as to why James, being a part of this group, believed He had a right to do this. He was able to see something miraculous just a few verses before this. And one of the guys he was able to see was Elijah. So Elijah would have been absolutely, I would say, fresh on his mind, along with John. And they saw who Jesus was in the presence of Elijah and in the presence of Moses. And then they go to the town of Samaria and they don't see Jesus for who he is. But put yourself in, in James and John's shoes. James was able to see with his own eyes two major figures in Jewish history. The law and the prophets, if you would. Moses and Elijah. He was able to see more importantly that than that, Christ transfigured in his form. A voice from heaven validating the Son of God. And then the people across the road over there have the audacity to pretty much tell Jesus, go somewhere else. Now note the words here. Came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered the village of Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven? Consume them just as Elijah did. See, Elijah's still on their mind. They wanted to see this consuming because they didn't understand who Jesus was. They had the audacity to not let him go through because he was set on going to Jerusalem. See, we're hard on James and John here, but really put yourself in their shoes. Would we not feel some level of defense for Jesus if we just saw what they saw, heard what they heard, and experienced what they experienced, would we not have the same fight and vigor within us? Now I'm not saying what they did is right. Jesus obviously rebuked them. He, he told them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because he was saying, I didn't come to destroy. I came to save them. So they ended up going off to a different village. Now, James and John were also um, not just in that controversy. Their mom created some problems for them. She wanted her two sons to be seated with Jesus. (laughs) Now, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that their mom was some horrible person or or anything of that sort. I, I don't believe that was the case. I don't think she was trying to ask something because she hated the other disciples and said, you know, you know, Jesus, these other guys aren't worth anything. My boys are worth more than all of them. No, she had seen Jesus take great interest in her two sons. Again, they're not just a part of the 12, they're a part of the inner three. And outside of Peter. The other two are her sons. Now let's read this account, Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, so James John with her, kneeling down asking something from him. He said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one at your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now notice you didn't assign either son to which side. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? Notice what they said. At this point, the mom is done talking. It is the sons that speak up. James and John say, we are able. Notice what Jesus says. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand, And on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. Now the other 10 heard it and they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentile Lord, it, it is over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so, so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, or to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So there's a lesson in this. He states, you know what? You will be baptized with my baptism. And we're about to see where that happened to James. It was predictive. We have a predictive death particularly toward Peter at the end of John's gospel. But here we really see that there is going to be a baptism of death that takes the apostles, particularly James, I want to focus on. And in this, he relates to them that they should seek not the seating arrangement around himself, but that they should seek to serve and let God the Father place people positionally where they ought to be now jesus even states that they will be seated with him jesus even we talked about this on the program before that his disciples would be seated in ruling tribes now it obviously made the other 10 mad again shall we think of the context of James and John and the mother back one chapter earlier 19 verse 28 so jesus said to them surely i say to you that in this that in the regeneration when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory you have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones judging 12 tribes of israel So think about the context here. When James and John's mother came to the side of Jesus, they didn't sit there. She wasn't saying, hey, um, Jesus, don't worry about the other 10 disciples. You know, they're not as cool as my kids. Just let my two sons sit with you. He had already told them they would be seated beside him at the resurrection. Ruling the tribes of Israel. So it's not about whether or not the others were going to have a seat ruling. It's the location of the seat. And what their mother was asking is that when they are seated on these thrones, that James and John, no particular order, be put on the left and the right hand. And put yourself in her position. She heard news of this, that they were going to be on thrones, she has seen that James and John are in that inner three. Her other son, John, is the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. She's obviously noticed Jesus took great interest in them and that she has, that Jesus has big plans for them, which he just unveils. And so Jesus looks at them when she asks this request, of, do you really think you can be baptized with what I'm about to be baptized with? And both of them said, we do. And Jesus said, yep, and you will. Now that takes us into the story of James's death in Acts chapter number 12. Again, this is kind of a sad story to me. And the more I've thought about it, the more sad I become thinking about James and Peter within a couple of verses of each other. It says, now about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now this is Passover time. Now let's back up. Luke does not inform us of quite a bit that's going on in this section. And I want to make sure that we're caught up. Historically, James did not stay in the city of Jerusalem the whole time. We actually have different information about this. And that is why, like the Catholic Church and others, even many of the churches in Spain, say that James is the patron saint of Spain. And a lot of people scratch their head and they go, wait a minute, how How could he be the patron saint of Spain? He never went to Spain. Well, from the information that we have, there are historical reasons to believe this. That apparently, and this is, and I realize that his, trip to spain comes from a later work it's a later document it was some anonymously written uh, storyline probably about 12th century that talks about some of the works of james in spain and then his trip going back so there's a legend it's late but it's a legend And it kind of gives two propositions as to why James went to Spain and also why he went back to Jerusalem where he found martyrdom. They say that James ended up preaching the gospel in Spain for a while. He was in Jerusalem. He was with the other apostles. Then he went to the area of Spain. Now, there's a story that the mother of Jesus, Mary, came to some of the apostles, including him, in some sort of uh, vision, if you would, that she was going to die soon, and that's what brought him back to Jerusalem, but again, um, let's, let's talk about the probability of that, because my, my knee-jerk reaction is to say that's ridiculous. Because I actually still think it is. (laughs) I actually don't think that uh, Mary appeared to him at all. Um, I don't don't think things like that happen. But let's talk about the occasion of the context in Acts, and then let's talk about the context of Mary. When it comes to the context of Acts, clearly the reasoning for the season of his death was around the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a cumulative unleavened bread, Uh, is a statement that includes Passover and the Feast of First Fruits. So this is commemorative in multiple ways. Number one, it's commemorative in the Jewish sense. Uh, Going to Jerusalem, it's one of the pilgrimage feasts to travel to. So him leaving, if he was in Spain, would go back to Jerusalem to celebrate this. That would be the main reason why James would have returned. Second reason, it's a celebration not only of the Jewish Passover, which is pilgrimage feast. It is a remembrance and a memorial of Jesus' own death and resurrection. And he could have wanted to go back for the purpose of celebrating with the others Jesus' ministry and work. That wouldn't surprise me at all. So it could have been a twofold reason as to why he returns. Now again, there's legends out there, a couple legends as to what did all this to begin with. Now, I don't think necessarily that he saw a vision of Mary, but let's talk about the second thing, Mary herself. Because Mary, in one regard, is a person that spent time with Jesus' uh, with Jesus's instruction to John. Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. That whole ordeal. So according to the tradition, sometime Mary appears to James over there in the country of Spain and she appeared on this pillar. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. But I do think it should be noted that Mary and James would have had probably a decent relationship because his brother John is taking care of her. And at some point, John leaves Jerusalem and goes east to the churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and that area over th- where Paul had already laid a lot of the groundwork where he ended up picking up a lot of Paul's work. So at some point, Mary does die, it would appear. But their tradition is that he went to Spain. Now you say, well, Stephen, how much time has gone by? Okay, let's back up. If Jesus died around 33 AD and this episode is taking place with him coming back in Acts chapter number 12, now you're talking about anywhere between 42 and 44 AD. Most would say he died in 44 AD, that this was taking place there. Very likely, by the way. So you have about 10 years that have gone by, 10 plus years from Jesus' resurrection to James's martyrdom. Now, when we read the book here, there's a lot that's happened up to this point in Acts. I mean, you have Cornelius' story with Peter, where he meets Cornelius, has the vision of the sheets. Paul has been converted to Christianity. It's easy to read Acts, and five years goes by really quickly. James didn't die the next year after Jesus ascended. The church has been established for 10 years. And Jesus had instructed them to go in to the areas of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts. We know up to this point they had already reached three regions. Jerusalem, Judea, and we see Philip in Samaria later on. Chapter number 8. So we, we, we do see that there is a progression of movement. The gospel is now going to make it over to Ethiopia because an Ethiopian unit gets saved. We've seen people go down to Syria as the persecution of Saul was hot and against the church. Then he ends up getting converted on his way to Damascus. Things are going on here. So the disciples could and probably were on the move. And the churches of Spain have good reason and conviction to believe he was there starting their first churches. And I don't doubt it. I actually think that is very probable. But I don't know if some sort of Mary connection brought him back to Jerusalem that year. It was likely the pilgrimage feast, based on what Acts is telling us event-wise. And he was back down for the pilgrimage feast in addition to being with his other friends and disciples around the time of celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. But we find that in chapter 12, Herod the king had started to bring havoc on the church there. We don't have all of the answers as to why Herod picked James and killed him with a sword. Now, Herod, being one that is there, would have been following probably some sort of wrongly applied Old Testament scripture to do this, like Deuteronomy 13. Being killed by the sword could have been him accusing James of turning the people of Israel over to different gods, deifying Jesus, for example. But why James? Have you ever pondered and wondered why James? Why not Peter? Now, he gets Peter in a minute. We'll talk about Peter a different time. But Peter gets released. God sends an angel to rescue Peter, but not James. James. I think when we talk about James here, he must have been doing something instrumental out there, loud, obnoxiously clear, that would have caused Herod to say, That one right there, bring him to me. Why James? Maybe James was one of the first missionaries. We don't know what of the other apostles were still there. We don't know if Andrew was still there. We've talked about him. The apostles were traveling and meeting other people, going to the areas of Edessa, going to the areas of uh, Constantinople. Peter ends up going to Rome. Why James? It could have been... Because James was known as a very vocal and out-front person. Hence, he was called the Son of Thunder. And we see an illustration of that with him and John. Like, you want to call down fire from heaven? Destroy these people? James must have been saying and doing things publicly in the streets that got Herod all worked up. Now, King Herod Agrippa reigned between 37 and 44. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. I would imagine that James was street preaching or even calling out something about the corruption of the Jews. But he picked James out of all the disciples. Now, we know that Peter was no silent individual. I mean, he's the one doing most of the speaking and discussions in the, in the work that's going on at the very beginning of Acts. And Luke, unfortunately, does not fill us in with all the details that are going on here. But here, James was the one who caught the eye of Herod, and Herod had him put to death by the sword. And I think it's because he was one of the more vocal of the apostles. And now somebody may say, well, then why is it that Peter gets all the vocal points and John is the one that gets connected with some of Peter's speech. How come, how come Luke doesn't report a lot of the works of James? Well, it's quite simple. Luke met Peter, and likely John, in the travels with Paul. By the time Luke is on the scene, James is dead. He did not get a chance to interview him. And we're missing a large portion about James because he was no longer able to be interviewed for the history. And Luke, even writing this story, is not focusing on James. It's about Peter in the miraculous release. He gives great detail to Peter's story, but not James. He only simply mentions that James, the brother of John, was killed by the sword when Herod was harassing the church. Just a statement of fact with no detail. But the Peter story, he then goes into all the way from verse 5 all the way down and then describes the miraculous escape Peter had in prison because Luke is reporting the narrative about Peter not so much James so I have to wonder how much we've lost from James the great James the son of Zebedee he was more vocal than we think he just wasn't reported more so than Peter and John because they outlived him and those that wrote stories about them, like Luke, did not come on the scene till later and there was no point. Now, yeah, sure. I mean, others could have told Luke what happened, but that's not really Luke's style. When he's getting information to just report what's happening, he makes a quick statement, uh, you know, like he does about James right here. And then he moves on. That's, that's just the way he works. But James must have been a very vocal person. Maybe he had a little fire in him. It was enough just to tick off the wrong guy. So then I asked myself, why James? That's probably the reason. It's the only one I can come up with. And then I ask another why. Not, Not to Herod, but to God. Why save Peter? but not James. Now, obviously, Peter will soon experience his own martyrdom, as did many of them. But remember what the disciples said to Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be baptized with your baptism. And Jesus said, indeed. No, I'm not saying that God said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll put you to the test on that one. You say, you say you're going to be baptized with my death? All right. I'm not going to rescue you because you made that bold statement. I don't think God was mad at them for their statement. Jesus said, you're right, you will. But this is a part of the Baptism the baptism of blood that they were going to experience. And James was the first one to experience what he told Jesus he was ready for. And James was able to die at the hands of a a Herod Now, Jesus died by Pilate, but Pilate didn't act alone. He confided and consulted with Herod earlier, the other Herod. Same family. So to me, Acts 12 shows us that actually James did get baptized with the baptism that Jesus experienced. Some have tried to reason as to why God would save Peter, but not James here. And I don't think we have the answer, and I'm not saying I do either. But I do think it goes back to that statement. Because there's another disciple, and his name is Peter, who's also in this story. Who told Jesus, I will die for you. Then he went and denied him. But then Jesus said, Later on, he would actually die for him at the end of John's gospel. See, some of these statements were made quickly and out of emotion and conviction and even good intention. Man, they were put to the test at some point. And they did it well. They died well for Jesus, demonstrating true Commitment to him, as they told him in the face they would, even though in those moments they were not ready. But the time had come. And I think James fulfilled what Jesus said of him here in Acts 12. Now, I like what some have said about it. F.F. Bruce talks about the release of Peter, but not of James, and he says, James. Why James should die and Peter should escape is a mystery to divine providence. It is. God saw fit to continue Peter's ministry longer and saw fit to continue John's ministry many years beyond his brother. Almost, some could say, 60 years. Close to, just under. So with that, I agree. It is a divine mystery, but I do think it is linked to what we read earlier in Matthew where they made the declaration, we are ready. So he died around the year 44. He is acknowledged by feast days in both the Eastern churches and the Catholic and the Western churches uh, a little bit Very different dates. Uh, The Western Church uh, looks at his feast day as July 25th. The Eastern Church is April 30th. But the churches of Spain actually hold it later on in the winter. They hold it December 30th. And so he is seen as the patron saint of Spain. Uh, They claim to have the relics that after he was killed, uh, his body was transported back to Spain where they believe to this day he is um, gathered, his bones are gathered there, and that there they have uh, a place for his body to lay. Uh, They believe they have his relics. I don't necessarily doubt them. Uh, It's very possible that they do. And again, he's another disciple that experienced martyrdom, but he's not just any, he's the first. And I think he was one of the vocal instrumental points of getting the gospel out that unfortunately we don't have a lot in history, but it seems like he did go to Spain and start the work of the gospel there. And there's a reason, by the way, that Paul wanted to go to Spain. I don't think it was to start something brand new. Something good must have been going on in Spain. And he had a desire to go that direction. Something was laid for him somewhere. And perhaps he wanted to go continue something that was left after the death of James. We don't know. we're, We're just theorizing as to what it may be. But this is the life of James the Great. James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. He was a martyr. He served Christ faithfully to death. And he even died for Christ at the end of the day at the hand of Herod, just as Christ died with the involvement of one of the Herods as well. Well, I hope this was a instrumental uh, episode for you. I trust that you'll continue to check in as we do more of these. Make sure you see new episodes as they release. We're doing bonus ones. We just released one the other day. Thanks for checking that one out as well. Grace and peace to you.